The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, September 10th, 2023, on the basis of Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. So if it was the middle of the night, and if you were sound asleep, and if out in your driveway someone was busy breaking into your car, and if your next-door neighbor just so happened to be awake at that late hour, and if they happened to see everything that was going on, would you want them to call you? Would you want them to somehow alert you to what was happening so that you could try to do something about it? Seems to go without saying, doesn't it? So let me ask this. If it was the middle of the night, and if your next-door neighbor was sound asleep, and if out in their driveway someone was breaking into their car, and if you just so happened to be awake and happened to see everything that was going on, and if you didn't call them, if you didn't alert them to what was happening so that they could try and do something about it, what would that say about the way you view yourself and the way you view them? Here's why I'm asking that question. We're in the middle of this worship series that's entitled, The Kind of Church That Jesus Wants. And I suppose you could say that as important as it is to try and describe the kind of church that Jesus wants, it is just as important to maybe talk a little bit about the kind of church that Jesus doesn't want. And I think if you were to ask people, if you were to, to take some sort of poll of both Christians and non-Christians, if you ask them to describe the kind of church that Jesus wouldn't want, there would be a word that would rise to the top of the list very quickly. People would say that Jesus doesn't want a church that is judgmental. And I think Jesus would agree with that statement. In fact, when Jesus talks about people being judgmental and about what makes it so bad, he talks about how what makes being judgmental so bad is that it indicates that someone thinks that they are better than or morally superior to someone else. When someone is acting in a way that is judgmental, we might even say that they are getting all high and mighty, that they are acting in a way that is holier than thou. We might ask them, what makes them think that they are so much better than us? And without a doubt, a church full of people who would feel that way is exactly the kind of church that Jesus doesn't want. But here's the problem. What Jesus talks about in the verses that are in front of us today, what he tells Christians they ought to be doing, are the very types of things that a lot of people would describe as being judgmental. Talking to someone about their sin calling them to repentance over that sin, warning them about the consequences if they do not. The very things that Jesus says Christians ought to be doing are the types of things a lot of people think Christians ought not to be doing. And yet, as we look at these verses from Matthew 18 in front of us this morning, we're going to see that what Jesus wants Christians to do does not in any way indicate that they think that they are better than other people. In fact, just the opposite is true. 
And so what that means is that not only should we be doing these things as Christians, it means that all of us as Christians should want other people to be doing these very same things for us. As we look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 18, we're going to hear him describe what life is like within a church where no one thinks that they are greater than anyone else. Now, how do we know that that's what Jesus is describing in these verses? Well, the thing that started this whole conversation that's found in Matthew chapter 18 is a question that Jesus' disciples asked him. Perhaps the most toxic question members of Jesus' church could possibly ask. They asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus' disciples thought that within Jesus' church, certain people were greater than other people, and they wanted to know how they could be the greatest of all. And so everything that Jesus says is in response to that question. Everything that Jesus says is aimed to describe a church where no one thinks that they are greater than anyone else. So what happens? What goes on within a church like that? Well, as we look at these words, that's the next important thing for us to realize. Jesus is describing what happens within his church. Jesus talks about doing these things for a brother or a sister, in other words, a fellow Christian. Jesus doesn't want us to do these things for every single person in our life. Jesus doesn't want us to do these things for every friend, every coworker, every neighbor, every random person we see walking down the street. No, Jesus wants us to do these things for our fellow Christians when they fall into sin. And specifically, when they fall into a specific type of sin. Not the kind of sin where someone knows full well what Jesus wants them to do and wants to do what Jesus wants them to do and yet in spite of that falls into sin anyway. The kind of sin Jesus is describing here is not what we might call a slip. Instead, it's what happens when a Christian is asleep. When they don't know that what they are doing is sinful or they don't care. So in a situation like that, Jesus says, here's what you do. First, you go and talk to the person privately, just the two of you. Then, if they don't listen to you, you take one or two other people along, other fellow Christians, to add to the weight and add to the urgency of the message that you are delivering. If they don't listen still, then you tell it to the church. Then you get the person's spiritual leaders, like their pastor, for example, involved. And if they still don't listen, after all of that urging and all of that warning, finally, as one last measure, Jesus says that you would treat them like you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, you go to that person with that warning because they are a brother or a sister in Christ. And yet if they ignore that warning again and again, time after time, eventually you treat them, you consider them exactly the opposite of that. No longer within Christ's church, but instead outside of it. But Jesus also says, if at any point in the process, if they listen, if they acknowledge their sin, if they repent of their sin, Jesus says, you have one 
your brother or your sister over. As soon as they acknowledge that sin, everything is good with them and God once again. So why in the world would Jesus want us to do this for our fellow Christians? That's a very important question and a question that we are going to answer. And yet before we do, we need to consider what it says about us if we don't do these things. So let's say, for example, that a fellow Christian suddenly stops coming to church. Let's say a fellow Christian seems to have some serious struggles, maybe even an addiction to alcohol or to gambling. Let's say one of our fellow Christians pursues a romantic relationship in a way that is contrary to God's plan for marriage. And let's say we do nothing. Let's say we just ignore it. Let's say instead of talking to them directly, we instead decide to talk about it to everybody else. Did you hear what so-and-so is doing? Let's say we go immediately to tell the pastor instead of making that step three in the process. Let's say after just one or two sort of feeble and half-hearted attempts, we just give up. In a situation like that, we are doing absolutely no favors to that other Christian in question. We are leaving them in a very precarious situation where their soul is in jeopardy and their salvation is in danger. And again, we'll talk more about that in just a second. And yet, in addition to that, our refusal to do what Jesus is asking us to do also says something very important about us. It reveals that we indicate that we think that we are somehow better than that other person, somehow morally superior to that other person. Jesus says this is what happens within a church where nobody thinks that they are greater than anyone else. And so if we don't do these things, or we do the opposite things, it indicates we are a church full of people who does think that we are greater than, better than someone else. Now, why is that the case? Well, that's really just another way of asking that question. Why does Jesus want us to do these things for someone else? And that's exactly what Jesus says next. After telling his disciples what he wants them to do, he then tells them why he wants them to do it. And here's what Jesus says. He says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, if we were reading these verses directly out of our English translation of the Bible, we would notice a, a little footnote in the middle of these verses that would take us down to a note at the bottom of the page that would suggest an alternate translation for Jesus' words. In fact, a better translation of Jesus' words. More literally, Jesus is saying to his disciples, whatever you bind on earth, it will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, it will have already been loosed in heaven. In other words, Jesus isn't saying that we Christians here on earth say something on earth and then it magically becomes true in heaven. Instead, he's saying just the opposite, that something is already true in heaven and so naturally we also want to say it here on earth. 
So, starting with what Jesus says first, whatever you bind. If a Christian is stuck in a sin, and if a Christian deliberately and willfully chooses to continue in that sin, in spite of all of the warnings and all of the urgings that are coming from their fellow Christians, that sin is bound to them. It's like there is this big, heavy metal ball that is attached to their foot with a chain. If they want to live in that sin here on earth, they can't just shake free of that sin before God. That sin is bound to them and they are guilty before God because of it. And so if that is the case, if that is already true in heaven, wouldn't we want to say that to them here on earth? I mean, sure, it's terrible news. But it's terrible whether we tell them or not. It's reality whether we tell them or not. But by telling them, we give them the opportunity to do something about it. By refusing to tell them, we don't. Then on the flip side, whatever we loose, when someone does acknowledge their sin, when they repent of that sin, when they turn to Jesus for forgiveness for that sin, it's as if that ball and chain that has been locked to their ankle just springs open. They are forgiven. There is no period of probation that they need to go through. There is no process for reinstitution in the church. There is no prescription for atonement that they need to make for their wrongs. No, Jesus paid for that sin in full even before they ever sought forgiveness from him. And so the second they repent, everything is good once again between them and God. And so if that is already true in heaven, wouldn't we want to tell them that here on earth? Wouldn't we want to assure them of their forgiveness? Wouldn't we want to keep them from wondering whether they had really been forgiven? Wouldn't we want them to be fully confident of their status before God and enjoy the peace that comes from knowing that? You know, as we look at Jesus' words in these verses, it occurs to me that each and every one of us needs the very kind of warnings that Jesus describes here. And in fact, we need these warnings for our failure to warn our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. For all those times when we've done nothing. For all those times when we've talked about it to someone else instead. For all those times that we've given up. For all those times that we've held a grudge instead of forgiving or holding it over their heads and constantly reminding them of their sins. And believe me, I'm right at the top of the list of the people who need to hear these warnings from Jesus. We need these warnings because of what it says about us if we refuse to do what Jesus asks. If you would want your neighbor to call you in the middle of the night when your car is being broken into, but you aren't willing to call your neighbor to do the very same thing. It seems pretty clear what you think about yourself in comparison to what you think about them. And so thankfully, Jesus has brought us into a church where no one has any reason to think that they are greater than anyone else. 
In fact, that's the very first point that Jesus makes with his disciples right after they ask that question. Jesus wants them to know that within his church, no one is greater than anyone else. And it's not because all of us together are equally great and wonderful and special and terrific just the way we are. No, instead, no one is greater than anyone else because all of us are equally ungreat. Jesus brings in front of his disciples a little child, and he says, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you need to be just like this. You need to be weak. You need to be lowly. You need to be insignificant and helpless, totally dependent on others for everything that you need. Within Christ's church, no one is greater than anyone else because all of us are equally ungreat. All of us are wholly dependent, totally helpless, completely reliant on the only one who could and in fact has been fully great for us. In Christ's church, no one is greater than anyone else because all of us depend entirely for our greatness, for our status before God, for our hope for eternal life on what our Savior Jesus has done for us. And that's our only hope for that heavy metal ball of sin with its chain attached to our ankle to be released. It's also the reason we can want exactly the same thing to happen for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because make no mistake, considering the nature of our fallen world and considering the nature of our fallen human condition, there is not a single home within this congregation or any congregation that will be spared. We might convince ourselves that we live in a pretty safe neighborhood, we might think that we can just leave the doors of our car unlocked. But at some point, sin is going to come to the door of every single one of us. And so thank goodness for your neighbor that Jesus has given them, you, to warn them. And thank goodness for you, Jesus has given you, your neighbor, to warn you. And thank goodness for you both that because of Jesus, neither one of you has any reason to think that you are greater than anyone else. Amen. Amen.